This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Port Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com. Time now for Nation Network Radio on TSN 1040. Here are your hosts, Sean Abbott and J.D. Berg. Oh, is it ever nice to be back. Welcome to it, everybody, on a Saturday. Nation Network Radio, presentation of Canucks Army, and now, Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. Yes, powered by Sharks Club Sports Bar and Grill. Don't settle for nosebleeds. Always get a front row seat at Shark Club. Your only destination for pregame, postgame, every game located just minutes from Rogers Arena at the corner of Georgia and Beattie. Come eat, drink, talk a bit of trash if you want to. Goodness knows that... Uh, We've yet to build up to that exact trash talking here, J.D., but it's uh, it's bound to happen. Learn more at sharkclub.com. John Abbott, J.D. Burke. J.D., you were filling the chair admirably as I was in Buffalo. Had a couple of special guests with you. Canucks. I didn't do so well while I was away, and lo and behold, come back, and there's a win to talk about. That's a, that's an obscurity these days. A 5-2 victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Canucks do not get out of Ohio last night. They landed just a couple of hours ago in uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis-St. Paul. Nikolai Goldobin, not on that plane. In fact, he was on a different plane heading uh, back across the country into Utica. And, J.D., I'll wish you a belated happy holidays. Good to see you, my friend. And I, too. Thank you very much. As the lucky talisman for the Canucks, you come back and they win their first game. (laughs) Go figure. I don't think they won a single game while you were gone. No, that's wrong. They beat the Chicago Blackhawks on the 28th. Otherwise, a pretty bleak stretch of Canucks hockey. Snap a five-game losing skid in the process last evening. Play again tomorrow in Minnesota, of course, as we were slightly teeing up. Wild, just like the Blue Jackets before them, on the back half of a back-to-back schedule when the Canucks meet them. And Vancouver certainly taking advantage of that at times in the game against Columbus, although it didn't start out that way. Wild play tonight at home against the Winnipeg Jets. So it's a similar situation for the Vancouver Canucks to get in the Minnesota tomorrow on the ice and take on perhaps a bit of a tired club. But that brings us to the poll question. Let's get it fired up right away, shall we? Subway Fresh Take poll question on tsn1040.ca. What's the correct landing spot for Nikolai Goldobin? The American Hockey League gets some minutes. The Canucks in the top six there. The Canucks, even if the minutes drop or he's scratched, meaning, hey, bottom six, fit him in where you can. Or another NHL team via trade. Has it reached that point? Uh, weigh in, tsn1040.ca. You can join us for the next two hours, 604-280-1040, toll-free, 1-844-876-1040. Email live at tsn1040.ca. Text us at 104040. I'm at Hockey Abs, ABBS, at J. Dylan Burke, with an E at the end. That is right. Find us on Twitter. Well, Continue to go around the horn, Canucks, as we always do, but that's a jumping off point, I think, right now, is uh, Nikolai Goldobin, because it just continues to be some hot, some cold, some mediocre, and uh, listen to the head coach, the comments from the head coach today, Travis Green, uh, before getting into the studio, and Travis was quick to point out what he liked about Nikolai Goldobin, talking about the offensive zone, surprise, surprise. 
But I think for Nikolai to be more of a permanent member of Travis Green's Canucks club probably needs to have the other zone in that conversation when the head coach talks about you. Do you agree, J.D.? Is this more about rounding out the game for Nikolai Goldobin yet again? Or should that book be thrown right out the window? Should it be let him play? And if he's going to be less than perfect on one side of the rink, play him where he can make up for it on the other side. Yeah, that's definitely where I fall on the end of this argument because if you look at it, conversely, we talk about a two-way player, somebody who plays a two-way hockey game, 200-foot game. The Canucks have Brandon Sutter, they have Nick Dowd, they have Marcus Granlund, they have so many players who you would label as a two-way player. And in a lot of those cases, we're talking about guys who don't really produce a ton of offense. Uh, Sutter is still stuck on one goal, I believe. Nick Dowd has yet to score for the Canucks. In fact, he's yet to do much of anything that can be listed as tangibly positive until he started to turn things around in the face-off circle. He's been a one-way player for the Canucks. Why can't there be a one-way player who only contributes offensively, especially for a coach like like Travis Green, and uh, the Athletic NHL's Tyler Dello explored this in an article for The Athletic. You can find that at theathletic.com. And basically what he found was that there isn't a coach who is more specialized in his deployment than Travis Green in today's NHL. And what he means by that is a coach who chases matchups, who chases zone start deployments. And so you think about it, in a perfect world, this seems like the ideal fit for Goldobin. Play him in the top six. Give him a heavy dose of offensive zone starts. Don't put him in high leverage situations where he can be exposed. And let him grow into his offensive hockey game. Because when I look at the Canucks and I look at what they need most, it's not another guy to try and shut down the opposition. What they need is somebody who can score. I mean, they need both ideally, but uh, they're without two of their most heavily leaned on defensive centers. So... I mean, you can try to chase that dream, but who knows if it's an actual reality. And when I look at this team, you look at uh, Goldobin, a lot of people are disappointed with the level of production, but he has four five-on-five points in 14 hockey games, good for a points-per-60 rate of 1.6. That's pretty close to second- or third-line production. In fact, it's better than Daniel Sedin. It's considerably better than Louis Erickson, Jake Vertanen, Sam Gagne. The list goes on and on. Obviously, there's something he can contribute, and that's in a really limited role with a really kind of fluctuating set of line mates and circumstances. I think that he should play, and I think he should play in the top six. Let him work through it. Let him develop into a two-way player, especially because it's not like he's going into an ideal situation with the Utica Comets. They're banged up. He's not going to have an ideal playmaking center to distribute him the puck. And it's just, I don't know, for me... If not now, then when? Because a lot of the draft analytics indicate that if you're a player that's at Goldobin's age, he's 22, going to turn 23 this season, this is the year where he should be making his start to his NHL career as a full-time contributor because the further he goes into the AHL, if he's in the AHL at 24, that doesn't really bode well for his future if you look at it from an analytics perspective. Usually somebody who's 24 in the AHL has a lower than 20% chance of making the NHL as a full-time skater playing 200 hockey games. So I don't like the circumstances in terms of what he's going to in Utica, and I think that the circumstances in Vancouver are a lot more favorable than we'd perhaps give credit. And they can foster a positive environment for Goldobin. They just have to be willing to take the plunge.
Comets, by the way, hit the ice in Binghamton, New York, in about an hour's time. We will catch up with Jeremy Davis to go uh, zeroing in on the American Hockey League affiliate of the Vancouver Canucks. I don't believe Goldobin is uh, scheduled to play that hockey game. I have um, my doubts. Especially because he was in transit with uh, the TV crew today who are on their way back to Vancouver. Goldobin taking one flight to get to another flight, and uh, I'd be very surprised if he's able to play tonight, but that's not neither here nor there. It's the fact that he's back in the American Hockey League where the first time, the first go-around this year, it was about you know, seeing how much they could expand his responsibilities. And part of the penalty kill, we heard nothing but good feedback, J.D., when it was talked about uh, Nikolai Goldobin and the early season appearances with the Utica Comets. I mean, penalty kill is not a role he's going to play, you wouldn't think, up in the National Hockey League, but they're putting him there uh, to try and exactly that. Round out his game, learn some, uh, learn positionally where he needs to be on the ice, learn how to defend, get used to that, and when Nikolai Goldobin was recalled months ago, one of the first things he mentioned is he feels he now has a better read on where he needs to play to fulfill some of those responsibilities in his own end of the ice or in the neutral zone. And so it seemed like check, gold star, however you want to phrase it, time well spent yeah. in Utica. We know what he can do points-wise. He's a point-a-game player in his entire career, both with San Jose and their American Hockey League affiliate and here with the Vancouver Canucks and there with the Utica Comets. So now he's back. And it's up to him to carry a driven attitude. It's up to him to continue to take the American League by storm, force his hand. But I'll go back to what you said. If not now, when? Alarm bells. Those are the alarm bells going off for me. Is that when you consider who is missing from this lineup, how badly the Canucks need goals, the last... If you want to zero in on the last five games before last evening's win, how desperately they needed a game changer in some of those hockey games, those descriptions are what fans, and I assume the Canucks, hope to have attached to a guy like Nikolai Goldobin. If it's not now, then in the near future. If, if Nikolai Goldobin is not seizing the opportunity, not creating an opportunity for himself to play in the top six now when guys are hurt, to get valuable minutes and not have his name on the list to go back to Utica now when the lineup is depleted, boy, oh boy, it's a, it's, it's a longer road than I thought for yeah. him to get into that position with the Vancouver Canucks. Well, I'm just looking here, and it's uh, speaking to your point about how desperately they need a playmaker to emerge, and a lot of credit to Thomas Vanek, who has certainly stepped into that offensive void since December 5th when they lost uh, Bo Horvat. He's been almost a point-per-game player. Two beautiful assists last night against the Columbus Blue Jackets. But if we look at the Canucks before that game against the Blue Jackets, they had yet to eclipse two goals more than once since Christmas. Well, I think the stat was, and let me uh, quickly review my papers here. I believe that they had scored five goals. Yes, so prior to last night, they had five goals total in the previous four games, which were all losses. Yep. So they scored five last night. Yep. I don't see them executing that again against Minnesota. If they do, hey, terrific. 
they found a way to score 10 goals in two games after going four games with just five total. My point being, this is not the norm for the Vancouver Canucks. They found a way to get some good bounces. They found a way to respond after being down one nothing. Hey, there's plenty of positives to take from last evening in Columbus. And for the Vancouver Canucks, the biggest thing is, hey, that's a win on the board. Yep. Let's feel good about ourselves moving into the final game before a five-day layoff in the PA mandated break. Because there's nothing worse than what happened last year, which it seemed like going into every break. It was more doom and gloom. In fact, some of the worst games played last year were on the precipice of an all-star break, on the PA break. You name it, it was uh, not going well. So the Canucks will try to follow up a win in Columbus with one in Minnesota before they they push pause for a moment. But, yeah, you can't ignore the five-game winless skid and what happened in those games prior, J.D., no, you, you certainly can't. And, and even last night, you don't want to look too far into that because a lot like the Minnesota Wild, tomorrow they're playing a team who's on the second half of a back-to-back. And in hockey circles, those games are called scheduled losses. They're called that for a reason. You're not expected to win those hockey games. In fact, if you do, that's all the power to you. But it's just, it's a it's a rest thing. You're often playing against a team's backup. And if you are playing the starter, it means that they're playing a second game in two nights usually. And we know that that degrades players' performance, especially based on a lot of the studies we've done so uh good for them to get a win especially against a team as good as columbus they're a bit banged up sort of like the canucks so we can't let them off the hook for that excuse but they are on the second half of a back-to-back which certainly kind of helps the cause uh what's going to be interesting for me is if the canucks can pick up their scoring and use this as a launching off point into the last game of their season before they go on to that PA mandated five day break because what's really interesting is Brock Besser is starting to go games without points and you know what we talked a lot about his, his goal scoring before you left and a little bit while you were gone it's it's been consistent we've had no reason to stop talking about it and the thing that always came up was that he wasn't just shooting at a high percentage which was about 21% it's that his expected goal production was 269% output eventually we knew he was going to come down to earth and the the frightening thing was that the Canucks were already in the bottom fifth of the league, uh, sorry, the bottom five of the league in terms of goals per game with him scoring on every other shot. So what happens when Brock Besser goes quiet? That's a huge concern for the Canucks, and it only uh, highlights how importantly they need to get Bo, have Bo Horvat back into this lineup and producing at a quick pace. No kidding, and we will talk more Besser, including the fact that he is uh, headed to the All-Star game and definitely should be with the way that he's been playing. He's Uh, earned that. It's a lot of responsibility for a a rookie to have to lead a team each and every night and so I understand a little bit of a setback but I'll be honest if if I didn't work the game last night I'd see a five spot on the Canucks scoreboard and think well okay Brock's got to be in on that somewhere but it is strange to see Besser not on any kind of a highlight and not on any kind of a, a, a score, whether it's goal or assists, uh, not pick up any points in a game where the Canucks have 12 different players with at least a point and five separate goal scorers. But I suppose that's a good thing as well when you consider that they have leaned on Brock so heavily. Quickly before we go here, just to double back to Goldobin. I'm looking at the lines. They've tried him with the Sedins on different occasions. I'm not a huge fan of that. I don't know where you came out on that. We can get some instant opinion here. You need a trigger man on that setup. You need somebody who's going to get the pucks, who's going to set up the Sedins, who's going to find the seams. Uh, Goldobin has the intelligence to play with the Sedins, but I'm not sure he has the specific skill set that you want with the Sedins. So if he's not playing with Daniel and Henrik, uh, the top six puts him somewhere with 
Besser, Gagne, Vanek and bumping one of those guys out, uh, at least in the present time. And so perhaps you know, lend a hand, lent a hand into some reduced minutes, six and a half in the uh, final game on this go-around for the Vancouver Canucks with Nikolai Goldobin before being sent down to Utica today. Um, you can argue over minutes and situational play, certainly, but Berchi Gantz Goldobin at least gives you a semblance, you'd think, of trying to kickstart some things. Berchi finds a way to get on the board. Gantz was a complete fluke, but he still found a way to get on the board. His first goal with a stick. <laughs> I mean, it's not perfect. The stick breaks, but at least it went in from his stick with intent. So what I'm getting at is, do you believe the Canucks actually need more of a full lineup? So uh, a better complement of players for Goldobin to succeed? Or do you think this is Goldobin needing to be the straw that stirs the drink when the opportunity beckons like it does in the present, and he's missed that now being sent back to Utica? I think it's a bit of both. And and that's usually how it goes, right? You go with two extremes. You you meet in the middle, and you come up with the solution here. Uh, obviously, you'd like to see Goldobin playing with some skilled players because that's what he's going to need to distribute. He's going to need somebody who can show him the ropes, who can help him learn how to play at the NHL level. And getting back to our, our discussion about Goldobin with the Sedin twins, perhaps if only for a mentorship purpose, that's something that they could explore in short spurts in much the same way they did with Jake Vertanen. Obviously, we didn't think that Vertanen was a good fit with the Sedins, but Travis Green... Uh, he kind of held held firm on that for a couple games, and I think it helped uh, Jake Vertanen's development along. Seems a bit mature, more mature, seems to carry himself a bit better, and perhaps that's something that they can look at, especially if they see Goldobin as a long-term project. Uh, otherwise, they just have to at least give him the opportunity, and you know what? We haven't brought this up, uh, but it is the elephant in the room here, the Russia situation after they lost Nikita Triamkin last summer. Pardon me. And they lose Alexander Burmistrov on Christmas Eve. Uh, that's two Russians in the space of less than a calendar year bolting for the KHL rather than sticking around with the Canucks. And I know that's something that they have to be concerned about in the Rogers Arena front office looking at this situation, especially considering that they need all their prospects to hit if they have any hope of turning this thing around. Goldobin has one more year left on his contract, so that will be interesting. Uh, usually you get to that year and decide you know, where the future rests, but you're right. Uh, you wonder how pressing the allure is to perhaps return to uh, his, ho- his homeland in Russia, and I, I just it seems like banging your head against the wall a little bit because uh, it's a similar situation each time Goldobin comes up. It's uh, lots of projected upside. Sometimes that hits. More often it misses. Not necessarily given uh, perhaps as much leash as other players, but then expected to work himself into advanced minutes. And I I can't argue against that in most cases either. Uh, But you look at the fact he doesn't have any power play time last evening. Let's just zero in. And in Columbus, no power play time, uh, no shots on goal. Six and a half minutes doesn't sound like a, a good recipe for success to me. And uh, that's that's on both sides of the ledger, I would say. Weigh in with your opinion again. TSN1040.ca, what's the correct landing spot for Goldobin? The American League gets some minutes. Canucks in your top six. Canucks, even if the minutes drop or he's scratched once in a while or... Have you reached a breaking point? Uh, try and flip them and see what uh, Vancouver can get for what some would consider a prospect in Nikolai Goldobin. We'll continue to 
A breakdown last night. I mentioned lots of good things for the Vancouver Canucks in a 5-2 win over the Columbus Blue Jackets. So we'll weigh the return of Brandon Sutter as we continue with Nation Network Radio, now presented by Canucks Army and Shark Club, your destination for pregame, postgame, every game. Located minutes from Rogers Arena, corner of Georgia and BD. Come eat, drink, talk a bit of trash. Learn more at sharkclub.com. More on the other side on TSN 1040. This is Nation Network Radio on the voice of Vancouver Sports, TSN 1040. Now, here's John Abbott and J.D. Burke. With you to 5 o'clock, talking all things Canucks, including Nikolai Goldobin being returned to the American Hockey League today. Nation Network Radio, presented by the Shark Club. Don't settle for nosebleeds. Always get a front row seat at Shark Club, your only destination for pregame, postgame, every game. Located minutes from the rink, corner of Georgia, Beatty. I've stopped by before. Yellow Duck. Go grab a Yellow Duck there. Come eat, drink, talk a bit of trash. Learn more at sharkclub.com. Happy to have them aboard. Nation Network Radio, as mentioned, John Abbott, J.D. Burke. You can join us through the afternoon. 604-280-1040, toll-free 1-844-876-1040. Email live at tsn1040.ca. Text us at 104040. Weigh in on the poll question, where should Nikolai Goldobin land? The American Hockey League gets some minutes. In Vancouver, in the top six, with the Canucks, even if he's scratched every now and then, meaning settle. Or another NHL team as we draw closer to the trade deadline. And that name hasn't been full steam ahead yet, like some others floating around the Canucks landscape. But you can bet that there will be a bevy of names in a couple weeks' time. As we recap, a 5-2 victory for Vancouver in Columbus before the Canucks play Minnesota tomorrow. And then it's the five-day PA break. We mentioned 12 different players getting points, five different goal scores, lots of things to like. And now, even if you are not on the Goldobin camp, uh, perhaps you're in the Sutter camp, and Brandon Sutter makes his return, expected to anyway, tomorrow evening when the Vancouver Canucks play the Minnesota Wild. It comes at the expense of Nikolai Goldobin. But Brandon Sutter should be a welcome return, in my opinion, considering what he brings uh, not only with the veteran card, and yes, I'm going to throw that on the table. Playing down the middle, right-hand shot, face-offs. You expect him to weigh in goal scoring, but we know by now that's not necessarily a full strength of his. I do wonder what the the look is going to be attached to Brandon Setter. Started the year as a shutdown guy. And this comes out on the heels of Nick Dowd. Winning 17 of 24 face-offs in Columbus. So there's lots of different ways this could go, but I think uh, as the Canucks get healthier, certainly Brandon Sutter becomes a big part of their plans, and he's the first to return. J.D., where, you, where do you wade in on this one with where, sh- where Sutter should be played? How many minutes you can get? Uh hey. Obviously, the Canucks see Sutter as somebody who's incredibly valuable to him, to them, rather. They had the opportunity to expose him at last year's expansion draft, uh, something I advocated for based strictly on his contract. $4.4 million is an awful lot to play for somebody who can't even crest 30 points, and uh, his two-way profile doesn't exactly jump off the page at you. I know the reputation is that he's a defensive player, but if you look at the Canucks, when he's on the ice... 
their drop in puck possession is about 7%. He's about the fourth lowest qualifying Canuck with 50 or more minutes at even strength in terms of Corsi 4 percentage, which is the on-ice percentage of shots taken. So I don't know if I buy into his utility as a shutdown center, but I know the Canucks do, and I know it frees them up and gives them the levity to use a lot of other players in different situations. It might free them up to play Nick Dowd a lot less, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more on that front later, but I think... What they need to get from Brandon Sutter, though, is a bit more production. I know that the expectation here is that he's going to be a shutdown center playing on the third or fourth line, taking on the team's best lines, and hopefully not getting scored on, because even when his Corsi 4 percentage has been lagging behind, one thing that you notice about Brandon Sutter is that he has a pretty uh, above-average ability to control the run of goals at even strength. A lot of that is by a pumped-up save percentage, but also, you have to admit, if it, if it goes on for that long, there might be something to it. Uh, he only has, I think, four points right now for the Canucks just looking at his production from when he went down from injury uh, that's not enough shut down roll doesn't matter if you've only got six points in 23 games my mistake it was six and one of those is an even strength goal you're not giving enough to the team especially when you're playing close to 20 minutes a night which when he was healthy Travis Green was using him that off and using him on the penalty kill every defensive zone face off it seemed so I think he adds value to the lineup in terms of the levity that he gives Travis Green to work with the other players and pieces. But in terms of what he actually adds, he's going to have to bring a lot more to the table to help this team improve than he did before he went down with injury. I like the fact he can play hard minutes. I like the fact that he he helps her penalty kill. Uh, I wouldn't be totally surprised to see him get a shot on the power play. Depends on what kind of setup. Now, they they just scored. The Canucks scored two power play goals in the last game, so perhaps not in the immediacy. I could live without him on the power play. I, I could as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm not advocating for him to be a stapler. I'm yeah. simply... We saw that last year. Simply trying to look ahead and without a... A Bo Horvat coming back, I don't even think, at the other side of this break. I wonder, you know, if things start to change a little bit, I think you have to include Sutter's name under consideration because I expect the Canucks to do so uh, when it comes to the special teams aspect of this. I wonder what kind of ripple-down effect it has on the lineup. Obviously, we've seen that Nikolai Goldobin is now a member of the Utica Comets once again. And we will get to Jeremy Davis for his opinion on that in our uh, second hour. But Granlin is playing on the wing. You already mentioned Nick Dowd. Would you be a fan of Dowd playing beside Sutter and a little bit of a poor man's Dorset type of role and reverting back to how the Canucks started the season, trying to form a shutdown? I mean, you could have Gaunt on the left, Sutter in the middle, Dowd on the right. I like it. You like it? Yeah, why not? I mean, here's the thing. A lot of the reason why the Canucks keep sending out uh, Brandon Sutter or, or Nick Dowd in his absence is that they feel they need somebody to match up against the opposition's best lines, shift after shift, every defensive zone face-off. So imagine you had a line of Gaunt, Sutter, Nick Dowd. All of them can take face-offs. you got Brandon Gaunt, who's a lefty, Sutter, who's a righty. You can kind of switch things up, never have to worry about getting pinned down by an icing. And Nick Dowd, for all that he's done for the Canucks, and there's been a lot of minor penalties, I know he led the league in non-enforcers and penalties taken per 60 minutes. So he's kind of ironed that part of his game out. He's looked a lot better lately. And you think that if they just specialized him as a defensive player, he could have some utility for this team, especially on a line with Brandon Sutter. I think if you do that, though, you have to accept that you're not going to get much production out of that line. You have to just... With, with a line like that, you have to look at it this way. Anytime you escape in the black... 
Anytime you've got above 50% of the goals with them on the line, you've won. And you've given yourself a chance to play people like the Sedins, like Jake Vertanen, with a more heavy dose of offensive zone starts where they're going to produce, especially in the limited minutes they have. They need to be put in the best situations possible. And I think when you have those three on a line together, you're going to have that ability. So for me, I think that's that's probably the best option the Canucks have right now. And you know what? I'd be interested to see how it works out with three centers and three people who, if you look at what they've pride, proud, prided themselves on. Sorry, that was a bit of a tongue twister. If you look at what they've prided, prided themselves on for their entire careers, it's keeping goals out of the net. And I think that they have a really good chance of doing that as a trio. Well, that is intriguing because it also pulls somebody else back into the middle. Um, if Dowd leaves a position or if Gantz leaves a position, you know, there's a case to be made there that somebody like a Granlin may have to come da- back down the pipe, which is interesting because <laughs> before the puck dropped on this season, I was a strong backer of having Granlin end up right where he is now, beside Daniel Sedins. Henrik Sedin. Yeah. Yet, in the absence of Bo Horvat, I- I'm wondering, even with Brandon Sutter back, is Gantz or excuse me, is Granlin better served down the middle? You think they would take a second look at that? Or do you believe that this winger experiment, which has largely been the case since Travis Green took over, continues for Marcus Granlin? And even a lot last year, too. That's where Willie Desjardins played him, and that's what seemed to get him going, was putting him on the right wing. For the Canucks, I think if you want to look at this long term, What's going to be your long-term situation? Is it going to be Granlund on the wing, or is it going to be uh, Granlund in the middle? And if you've got Gaunt's Sutter and Dowd on the one line. We know that that's going to be a long-term fixture, barring injuries or trades. Uh, with Granlund, you don't have to really worry about it. You know, if you have to play him there for two weeks, maybe one week of hockey, considering the All-Star break, and then you get Bo Horvat back, I think you have the ability to experiment with that. I mean, l- let's be honest here. What did the Canucks have to lose, lose this season? Not an awful lot. I was looking at their playoff odds just the other day. I think they're down to 0.1% on most analytic I websites. I think we're basically at the other... You're at the experimental You're at the other stage. odds. You're yeah, at the exactly. odds of the NHL draft. That's yeah. we're, we're basically turned the page into that again. Which kind of plays into our Nikolai Goldobin discussion earlier, which is what did the Canucks have to lose by giving him a chance? And I think it works both ways. You can use that exact same example to give an argument for why Marcus Granlin should be playing more regularly in the middle of the lineup, especially for a team like the Canucks. You look at their lineup, they, they're going to have a line with three centers on it based on this hypothetical. It's not like when they're healthy, they don't have options here. So I think they can live with Granlin there for about a week of hockey, and then they'll get Bo Horvat back, hopefully on the other side of the All-Star break. He can move back to the right side, and everybody's going to be in their ideal situations if everything goes according to plan, and there aren't further injuries, which we obviously can't really out based on how the last two months have gone for the Canucks. Which means if Gaunt, if Granlin goes back to the middle, then there's an open spot beside Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Uh, it would be interesting to see if Jake Vertanen gets another look there, if all those cards fall into place. But I'm really, I'm really wondering uh, about... Uh, I did wonder and consider how Sven Berchi would return after uh, missing the time he did and still recovering from a broken jaw, but uh, Berchi was the first of the five Canucks goal scorers a night ago and really got things started for Vancouver, and good to see Sven pick up a goal if you're a Canucks fan because uh, he is at his best usually uh, as a bit of a streaky guy and feeling good about his game, and I think that ha- uh, that helps after coming back and missing so much time from injury. But Louis Erickson continues to be a black hole 
for me. It, it is it is an uphill climb to say the least, and a couple of good games here and there um, where he's noticeable. And you can include last night. Last night was a good game for Louis Erickson. Still, to me, is not enough. And it's not just about the contract. It's about his status with this hockey team. When players are out with injury, look up and down the lineup. And we talked about Nikolai Goldobin trying to seize his his opportunity. Well, it's much different when it's an opportunity to be gained or lost. Louis Erickson's already gained the opportunity. There's no way he's moving anywhere. The expectation is, is that he elevates his game and makes those around him better. He's done that at times. But my goodness, swing yourself into the forefront and help this hockey team as a veteran that is getting every benefit of the doubt. Forget about the contract. And I've gone down this road before. I know it's perhaps foolish on my part because we're not even out of this season yet. But the day will come when Louis Erickson is the highest paid player on the team, when the Sedins leave, he will be one of the most veteran members of this team, considering there's likely to be a couple guys moved at the deadline and the Sedins whenever they're through. And what kind of an impact is he going to have on this team? Well, and just think about how desperately they needed somebody to step up this month. And what happens to Erickson? He goes completely silent. And I've been a pretty big believer in Louis Erickson. I think that he's still a useful player. In fact, last night he was on the ice for three five-on-five goals. Uh, he had a really good expected goal share, too. That indicates to me that he's at least holding up his end of the bargain defensively. But even that has been a bit of an aberration, because if you look at his two-way profile through the month of December, it's more in the red than it is the black. And Honestly, if you can't score, you have to at least do that for the team you're playing on. If you're making $6 million a year, I know you said to avoid bringing up the contract. But well, I'm just trying to, for a change, I mean, it's... Be focused. It's basically. part of yeah. it because, my goodness, we're, they are paying him a ton of money. But that's the easy argument. So I'm trying to take a step back from that. Well, he's he's making eight million a year in the first two year of his contracts. So right now he's on pace to make sixteen million dollars in his first two seasons as a Canuck. Right now he has sixteen goals. That's ugly. That's ugly. And at some point, when we get down to the final part of the discussion about Jim Benning's future, we're going to have to talk about all the ownership money that he's spent. And then a lot of people would say have wasted on players like Louis Erickson. I don't know what the thought process was there, but it clearly hasn't worked out for him. Yesterday marks 17 games in a row without a goal for Louis Erickson. He has three assists in that span. It was looking like he turned a corner in November, but we've all been led a bit astray by that. Uh, You're listening to Nation Network Radio. We're going to take some callers on the other side here. Reach out to us at 604-280-1040, 1-844-876-1040. Email us live at tsn1040.ca or text us at 104040. This is Nation Network Radio, a presentation of Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. You're listening to TSN 1040, your voice for Vancouver sports. John Abbott, J.D. Burt, Nation Network Radio presented by Shark Club. Just around the corner from the rink. Georgia and Beatty, come eat, drink, talk a bit of trash with your buddies, throw the game on, learn more at sharkclub.com. Been there, we'll continue to go. Heck, we might even turn into uh, regulars, maybe two days. I don't know, it's the. We'll see how long the Steelers' playoff run goes. <laughs> Who knows, I might be there tomorrow. 
John Abbott, J.D. Burke with you, Nation Network Radio. The final segment of hour number one. We've been throwing around Nikolai Goldobin. He is the source of our poll question at tsn1040.ca. What's the correct landing spot for Goldobin? American Hockey League gets some minutes. Canucks in your top six. Staying with Vancouver, even if the minutes drop or he scratched from time to time, or another NHL destination. Yes, is it time for a trade? And we have feedback on that via text message. You can reach us at 10:40:40. And it is Jim writing in. Pardon me. Just have to dial this one up here, but we appreciate the response. Jim writing in. Great discussion. Totally agree. Any player that has a chance to show uh, what he's got in a depleted lineup has to make the best of that opportunity. Um, If you have to cater to that player to get him out onto the ice, uh, then then that shows... Excuse me, when every member of the team shows leadership on the ice and that player can't be uh, showed leadership in a depleted lineup, then he's probably a write-off, uh, referring to Goldobin and uh, just piecing this together. We, we thank Jim for uh, weighing in on that one. And certainly it goes many ways as this saga of Goldobin continues to unfold because uh, it's tantalizing. We are drawn in with a player with a skill set like Nikolai Goldobin, but it's two coaching staffs now that have felt similarly about him. Well, you want to know something interesting? I'd say that based on the TSN 1040 poll question, it seems like most of the listeners are on that same page. Right now, 48% of our listeners are indicating that Goldobin should be sent to the AHL strictly for development so that he can get minutes. In second place is 37% to the NHL in your top six. So it seems like the listeners and certainly the people interacting with the show lean a lot towards Jim's point of view. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Abs, it sounds like we got another text message just coming in right now we do indeed and this goes back to the lineup when Sutter comes back uh, what it would look like what it would sound like maybe what the ideal is and uh, Ryan writes in when healthy this is what Ryan would like to see Berchi, Horvat, Erickson Vanek, Gagne, Besser Henrik, Daniel Granlund, Gantz Sutter, Vertanen interesting I mean, the one part of that I quibble with the most is probably I want to see Louis Erickson get back with the Sedin Twins. That's what got him going in November. That's where he seems to be most comfortable, and that's where the on-ice results are the best. But mostly, I thought that was an agreeable lineup. What do you think? I I think it's going to change quickly anyway. Yeah. From Travis Green and also leading into the deadline. Let's be quite frank. I mean, by the time Horvath gets back... I don't know if it will, if the same options will apply, or for how long if they are indeed intact. But I like the, I like the idea here of trying to find a spot where Erickson can get going. And listen, I think Besser has proven now he can do it with pretty much anybody. There's a little bit of magic with Van, Vanek, Gagne, and Besser, and mostly coming from Brock Besser. Yeah. But if that can continue, then hey, trot him out there, spread the wealth out a little bit. See if you can find Erickson a landing spot, and I uh, suppose that's at all costs, but literally at all costs. You're paying him to this point, so uh, yeah. better to find a connection with guys that could be here a while uh, during the contract of Louis Erickson than not, and I wouldn't be surprised if that is tried. So a uh, nice input input from Jim and Ryan. You can find us on email as well, live at tsn1040.ca, or over the phones at 604-280-1040. 
844-876-1040. Another topic out of last night's game and a 5-2 win over the Columbus Blue Jackets is that of the blue line. A whale of a hockey game for a pair in Goodbranson and Edler. Now, that's not a, a pair on the ice, but the, the two of them pulling up the best games of this season, certainly for Goodbranson. A goal, a plus-one rating, 19.5-plus minutes, two shots, five hits for Eric Goodbranson. A stat line that should be framed on his wall somewhere. And Alex Edler, a goal as well. Most minutes played top to bottom. That includes forwards at 225 his one shot went in, turning into a goal. He had four hits as well, including a whopper against Joey Anderson. We learned a little bit from Goodbranson after the game as he talked to our own Jeff Patterson. Let's replay that now. Yeah, I, I, I was struggling to find my confidence um, pretty much for the better part of my time here. Um, and I slowly but surely have been working it up, and, and I feel good. I'm, you know, I feel really good. I'm starting to feel confident. I'm a lot better with the puck. Uh, my little angles all around the ice are quite a bit better, and, and I'm more confident on the body. So, um, it's I mean, it's incremental, and it's it's got to continue to get better. I, I definitely need to get a lot better, but um, I, I'm feeling better about my game. You know what? I think that's those damned analytics nerds. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. It's them. They're getting his confidence down. How are you even on the radio? Yeah. I don't know. You tell me. But <laughs> you know what? I think i got to give a lot of credit to Eric and Branson, too, because it's... Absolutely. You appreciate that candor. You appreciate that honesty. And I think even his biggest supporters are people who, looking at Eric Branson, would say that his time in Vancouver has mostly been uh, not as productive as they would have hoped. And production, well, two, big, two big spells missed to injury is not going to yeah. help that. No, exactly. It's been a pretty trying circumstance for Eric Branson in every fashion, whether it comes down to his on-ice results or a lot of dis- the discussion surrounding him, whether it's involving contract extensions or going into the trade deadline this season. He's probably the Canucks' biggest ticket that they can wield as an asset to move at this year's trade deadline. Uh, Good game last night, I thought. You know what? In the first period, I was watching closely, and it seemed to me like he was really chasing hits, which kind of gets into the double-edged sword of Greg Branson's physicality, right? Because if he's going to chase hits and leave people open, that's when you're going to run into trouble. But he did on a few occasions, and nothing became of it. And that's what counts. No goals against, no odd man rushes. And then in the second period, he contributes with a goal. He even said in that uh, post-game scrum that Travis Green was talking to him in that morning about getting those low-to-high shots on goal. He gets a pass from behind the net turns it into a goal almost immediately. Still in the negative four shot attempts against, but when you adjust for score effects, it looks a lot better. So a lot of credit to Eric Branson for A, displaying a bit of humility and even some personality, which is very rare in the NHL in that interview, and for also having an all-around good hockey game. I think the difficulty for the Canucks is that this is mounting at perhaps, well, if you're looking at the trade value, it's the best time. If you're looking at uh, retaining him, it's the worst because... uh, if you could find, if Goodbranson was in of the same mindset, and I haven't asked him this point blank, so I don't know, but if he was in the same mindset as Dan Hamus, who was willing to do just about anything it took to stay as a member of the Canucks until asked to waive, you know, weighing all the options, speaking to his family, agreeing to waive, uh, lo and behold, not being able to be moved, and then signing elsewhere after all that shook down uh, negatively for Dan. And joining the Dallas Stars, Erica Branson may want to stay, but I 
would guess he's not willing to do whatever it takes to stay, which would mean take a pretty big haircut for what's expected to be out there in the open market as a free agent, which means the Canucks likely have to move him. And so they didn't get the most out of Eric Branson during his time in a Canucks uniform. And, you know, what Eric was sharing with us, certainly you do respect that thought. And you, as a Canucks fan, maybe it's even worse now that you're realizing he's starting to come into his own game. But it's probably not going to be for much longer if, if the Canucks are sizing this up as a business move because he's just going to make too much money, you'd think, to be retained. And so perhaps too little too late for Eric Branson. Uh, we are going to pick up some thoughts on that on the other side of uh, the break. It's second hour of Nation Network Radio coming in. We are going to hear from Henry G. weighing in on text message and some others as well. As always, it's an open show. You can reach us and we'll get your viewpoints on the air. In many different forms, we have Jeremy Davis in the second hour as well to talk some Utica comments, which is the new home of Nikolai Goldobin being sent down today. It is hour number two, Nation Network Radio, presented by Shark Club, Bar and Grill, sharkclub.com. Stay with us on TSN 1040. This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Fort Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com.